You know, we're getting it rolling. I know, that's why I got quiet, sir. Welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. We're here to talk about shooting. You guys all know what's up. On deck tonight, back by very popular demand, Matt Pranka. Say hello. hello. Wanse Kim. Hello. And Mr. Joel Park. Hello. All right, so uh, before we get into the show, we've got a couple of announcements. Number one, this show is going on hiatus for a little while. Um, that's just to push everybody to a new podcast. We've just talked about it on here, right? Joel, what feeds are up? So if people want to listen to the training group live thing, um, where can they do that? So if you want to listen to the cool one that's got the full version, you go to training group and there is a thread in the forum for the full podcast. So every week's show will drop a... Every Tuesday, yep, we'll drop a show. Uh, if you're one of those poor, unfortunate souls that are not a training group member... But you want to listen to uh, Kim and Matt drop science uh, on Podbean, uh, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, and I think there's one more. It'll so, be on all the base services before yeah. long. Yeah, and I'm submitted. Called, I, sorry. This is called Training Group Live, right? Correct. So this show go on hiatus for a month. Subscribe to Training Group Live if you uh, kind of want to keep getting your fix because I'm on those shows anyway. And this, then this will this will come back. And we have a book release. Oh, so we do. not by the time you hear this, probably in a week from now, uh, I anticipate there'll be a live version that you can purchase of Practical Shooting Training, the new the new book, the new deal, and then a lot of that content will make its way into training group as well. So there's a lot of good things happening. Uh, I get a lot of direct messages asking about the book, how they'll find the book whatever how do they get it uh we'll drop obviously on social media when it's available for purchase and you just buy it from amazon and they'll ship it to you you know yeah. prime prime it's whatever Amazon thing it won't be so, yeah just order from amazon yep. the end all right well let's get into the show who would like to go first with the topic i'll go first matt yes let's do it all right so my, uh, I wanted to ask uh, you guys questions. So I've been in a weird situation for the last couple of weeks, haven't had access to um, any dry fire or live fire equipment. Uh, still been doing like the normal amount of kind of physical training I've had, but I've tried to like curtail it more um, to like explosive movement, stuff that is very practical, you know, or uh, very necessary and like practical shooting and i'm wondering for you guys when you're what's your opinion about when do you when should somebody start incorporating movement into dry fire or are you not really putting a whole lot of effort into training movement and dry fire and just kind of doing that as a performance-based thing like in a gym or as something where you where you don't have a gun in your hand well, I can give you a short answer. I think they should start doing movement almost immediately in dry fire because it's a dynamic shooting sport, right? So um, early on in your development, you're going to focus on keep just keeping the gun pointed in a safe direction while you move around and reload and do, you know, do what you need to do with the gun and keep it pointed where it should be. And then as you develop, you get to the more specific techniques. By the time you're, you know, master class or whatever, that's where it's like, the nuances of foot position and like rolling in and out that that's where that really starts to matter. But I think you kind of work on it the whole time, you know? 
And I get I get hit up a lot with guys dry firing, and they want to start, you know, you know, tactical shooters that want to start doing movement, but they don't know how to. And I think they really quickly, just like how most tactical guys will only dry fire, you know, gun handling stuff. They don't really dry fire the visual part or the shooting part. And they get really quick to, they want to get into the weeds on things that are just really not to their skill level. Yeah. You know, that'd be than, kind of what I'm talking about. You know, it's just guys yeah. diverting in a direction that doesn't really offer a whole lot of benefit. Yeah. Uh, I'll give a little bit of a personal example. So the first time I took a class from Ben, he was like, it was like, Hey, there's some stuff that was okay. But it's like, I did the, the pogo thing or the elevator thing really bad. So anytime I would stop, I'd come in low to the position and then I would just, you know, end up standing completely flat footed straight up. And of course, like, he's like, yeah, you're doing this. I'm like, I, okay. Like, I don't, I don't really know. Like, I don't think I'm doing that, but <laughs> obviously I was. So I, I know I use this a lot, but like a good thing about dry fire is you don't have all the distraction of the safety with a, a real gun, the thing going off in front of your face. You got to hang on to it. All this other crap's going on. And so I would do movement training in my dry training and I would just basically start, you know, the rules are feet spread apart, at least shoulder width apart, knees bent is when I started. And then when I stopped, I'd do some, you know, garbage where I'd run around my basement, shoot targets, whatever. And when I would stop, I would just kind of freeze frame at the end with my gun still extended pointing at the targets. And I would just kind of look down at my feet, my legs, knees, and just kind of assess the situation, so to speak. <clears throat> And then I started becoming really conscious, really aware of what I was doing, and that helped me fix the issue. But I don't think I would have fixed it as well if I was at the range running around with a, a loaded handgun that I have to be very careful about, you know, make sure I'm pointing it the right way and it's going on off and all this other stuff. So it was a really good way for me to look at one specific issue I wanted to fix and focus on that without other distractions. And dry training is really good for that, I feel. Yeah, I personally do both. So like... Uh, dr yeah, dry fire movement. That's absolutely in my uh, like minimum required training routine. Meaning, you know, like draw gun handling stuff, target transition stuff. I have like at least twenty minutes of training uh, in off season. But in this kind of, kind of case, I do shooting focused movement training. Which meaning, I start with stationary draw, and I would add step or two uh, after another. So and then I'll go up to like three four steps as I am drawing. So I'm practicing movement draw, basically movement reload, uh, shooting the move, those kind of minimum stuff. But I do movement focused training too. So, so to say, I'm training like a football player. So I'm working on my ankle stability, the glute development kind of thing, uh, good core engagement. I'm not doing like a weight lifting per se, but I'm doing exercises like lunge or jumping jacks to develop those muscles. Not to the point I'm like a Usain Bolt. But to the point, I feel very stable. I feel um, no fatigue in a short training. So it's funny you say that. So that's kind of what I've been doing the the, the couple weeks, uh, last couple weeks, is focusing on that, like, explosive movement, really nothing more than, like, 12 or 15 yards, but being very stable, decelerating, almost like a suicide drill, kind of like go stop, but with mm -hmm. no target. Um, where it looks more like just a functional fitness exercise, but being very stable from the stop and very explosive on the go. Yes. You know, so I've, as I noticed a lot of guys in a squad I shot with at the last match, moving and shooting positions, usually the last position of a stage, 
being very, very unstable, not on easy mm-hmm. shots when there was no need to be unstable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you guys seen like they like you're doing just a one footed shot on a 15 yard partial target in a lean when that position doesn't really require yes. a lean because it's just not like programmed as a cue to to move when you're moving into position to have that gun up set up low and wide and be stable when you when you you know take those last two shots and that's what I've been kind of working on since last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, I call like it ballerina style where you're like lifting one foot unnecessarily kind of thing, losing stability or unnecessary building being too decelerating in your movement. Uh, in movement focus training, I focus a lot in explosive acceleration and deceleration. I think a lot of people neglect the deceleration phase. So people are uh, like in a five steps movement, people tend to accelerate really hard explosively on the first two steps and then they're not decelerating fast enough. So in a long run, like 10 steps, it really shows. People run really hard first, two, three, five steps, and then they're using too many steps to decelerate, if that makes sense. If there's 10 steps movement, they're spending a lot longer time to decelerate rather than they're keeping that high velocity uh, as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. So how I've been like specifically doing this is I have like two buckets because mm-hmm. I figured in order to to kind of reinforce that hey I'm nice and low right so I'm doing like a shuttle run type back to different distances but with the buckets it feel like you have to get low enough to place this little wooden block on the bucket mm-hmm. and be completely stopped and then explode out it seems to be working. Plus, it's a little fun to mix it up. Yeah, I like it. It's good training. Oh, for very sure. Uh, Yeah, and then the other thing, like, Matt, we were talking about that training. It's nice where you don't have to worry about, like, a gun and all the other garbage. You could just focus on, really, like, hyper-focus on the one thing you wanted to work on. Like, leaving aggressively, and you don't have any other distractions to, like... You know, pull your attention away from that one thing you want to work on. Yes, I really like yeah. that a lot. Isolation. Isolate. That's yeah. Kim. Yeah. I say something like this long, drawn out, and Kim's like, or you could just like, oh, you're meaning it's like this this angle, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, the other thing I should say is these skills are so specific that it's not like most people even have the ammo, especially these days. It's not like you have the ammo to train on it anyway, where you can be shooting ammo just to do a repetition of your foot position like you need to put the ammo into fundamentals not into this yes yes yeah for sure i agree all right well matt do you have any more i mean that was a pretty good starter you have any more questions you want to ask because it's interesting what you're working on yeah that's that's all i got right now like it (laughs) well that kind of going for a while mr kim yes something fun and interesting to talk about Mm mm-hmm so uh, it's kind of like a technology. So I've recently shot the most expensive gun uh, in my whole shooting career so far. Uh, it was Infinity Open Gun. Um, mm-hmm. Christian Seller kindly let me shoot his gun. I shot like a hundred something rounds. Uh, and I shot it, of course, I had a carry optic gun side by side. And then I was kind of comparing the two, uh, what the open gun does. 
I've shot open guns in the past, not in a match situation, but borrowed open gun at local matches kind of thing, uh, because open was always in my heart. I just, I don't see me shooting open financially, but so I've shot all, all kinds of custom guns, like uh, all the big names out there, like Limke, Atlas, um, and STI, all, all that open guns, custom open guns or factory open guns. And then I think Infinity Open Gun was a little bit different experience than other open guns so far. Uh, and I think this was like the newer, newer technology comp and all that stuff uh, with 38 Super Comp cartridge. So when I shot the Infinity, basically uh, I shot like a measurement drill and doubles drill, both, uh, some, some shooting fundamentals drills. And then when I shoot, so measurement drill, you know, I think a lot of people know on training group now that you shoot one shot with complete relaxed shoulder tension, but good grip, good stance, blah, 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 and let the gun completely like just recoil off and then you don't return it, just let it let it flip and then shoot the second shot and see where it lands, the dispersion of the first shot and the second shot. So when I shot the Infinity Open Gun, basically there was no dispersion from the first shot and the second shot. Even with my you know completely relaxed shoulder, and I'm not trying to you know, return the gun or anything like that. So basically the cartridge was working uh, the compensator uh, to basically return the gun for me. Uh, when I shot other open guns, like I shot CZ open guns too, usually the factory open guns, there was a little bit of return I had to do. Uh, some really good custom, super custom ones, uh, still like really close to completely bringing the dot back to zero. But Infinity open gun, what was the difference was the dot was just moving so clean uh, usually, even if you're shooting carry optics, when the dot goes up and down, uh, you may see some shake and jiggle left to right. Uh, hopefully it's straight up and down, yes, but it's still shaking left to right just a little bit oftentimes. But Infinity Open Gun was almost like a video game shooting. So it really felt like I was shooting uh, from a video game in the perspective of the dot movement up and down, all that stuff. Of course, the dot still moves up and down just a little bit because the wrist always, you know, you can't really completely lock it uh, unless you have, I don't know, really strong arm. But just a little bit of movement from that wrist flippage, just a hair. And then that was it. It was so easy. Uh, I was able to shoot kind of like similar group size as my PCC, similar. Uh, so I shot 20 yards target, open target. I would just shoot as fast as I can pull the trigger, maintaining all alpha zone. So I thought that was a little bit cheating. That's excellent. It is. <laughs> so I was uh, pretty curious like where the open gun technology is going. Uh, I mean, the guns I've shot that was coming from five years ago, uh, like STI, open gun, stuff like that. I don't think those guns, uh, when I shot, I wasn't able to do that. So I think I'm glad to see, I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot left in open gun technology now. It's just so marginal to make it even better than currently, I think. But I'm, I'm surprised how uh, open gun was shooting kind of like PCC. You just hold a gun, pull it twice, and the shots are there. Wow. Good experience. I have experienced the same, like, I, I feel the same about the change of the open gun tech. Mm -hmm. Like, now with everybody on the metal grips, yes, you know, keeping the guns pretty <clears throat> flat, it's, uh, it's a big difference. Yes. 
And I think the weight distribution is getting better with the front dust cover being longer and having more weight in the front too. I think the weight balance is good. Uh, I shot a nine major gun too, not infinity, uh, LS gun, but that gun was very similar in terms of creating the group size, but the dot motion was just different, uh, more unpredictable, a little bit shakier kind of thing. But it would be pretty interesting to shoot open. Uh, just pull the trigger and rest of is pro probably moving around better. Yeah, major power factor. <clears throat> Let's go. Yes. Yeah. All right. My bank account won't let me shoot open. <laughs> I don't have the patience for stuff that breaks either. So <laughs> I'd need like five of them. All right, Joel. What do you got? Uh, my topic actually ties into what Kim was talking about quite nicely. So... Uh, yeah, I messed around with a Glock for a while, Glock 34, for the last, I don't know, couple months, where I haven't really been training with my Tanfo, and I was I'm probably, I suppose, still kind of training, because I'm always going to be doing something with training, but it was, like, like Ben, what we were saying before we started recording, kind of training without consequences, where, like... Yeah, it, that's where I said it'd be like a vacation. It was, it was fun. I mean, like, to go I'll be real, like, I've got a gun in my hand every single day that I'm messing around with it, or maybe I'm walking around the house, dry firing, whatever, but it isn't really serious. It was just something fun. Um, so kind of getting done with that, go back to my Tanfo, which I'm training with now. I hadn't messed with, I mean, I hadn't picked them up for probably at least 30 days since I didn't even touched my stock too. And it feels a little shape, you know, like the shape feels a little weird at first and, you know, it's a little bit heavier, whatever. And I was over confirming a little bit when I drew, cause I was looking for the dot, but within 30 minutes, like it was like, I really hadn't left it at all. It was just, it was no big deal. Um, and then like today I go to the range and I was like, oh, I've got this, uh, new 34, so I brought this. It's still got the three-dot sights, still got the factory, like, internal. It's literally out of the box with the Glock factory sights. And I actually shot it. I mean, I would not want to take it to a, an area match, but I shot it okay. And uh, so I, I went to the range with my friend Kenny today, and we were talking about that. And he made an, an interesting observation, which, uh, I mean, it made sense, and I thought of that before, too. He was shooting his open gun for a while. We shot open for years. And Kenny's AM class. He's quite good. He's like, you know, when I switched to carry optics and he started shooting a Glock, he quickly realized all the shortcomings in his technique, things that he wasn't doing properly, because the gun was like, you know, covering up for his mistakes. Because the open gun, like what you're saying, Kim, it's mm -hmm. so heavy, the trigger's so light, doesn't really matter how you press the trigger. <clears throat> and I'm not saying that, like, there's no skill required, but that gun does, you know, mask some of his, you know, issues he was having with his shooting technique. The stock, too, a nice heavy gun that, you know... I won't say it shoots itself, but it's easier to shoot. And then switching back to this Glock, a gun that's light. This has got a heavy trigger. It's got these factory Glock sights. Um, I think it's kind of an interesting experiment to switch to a gun that's not optimal, that you're not really used to shooting, and just seeing how your technique holds up. Because um, like what Kenny was saying in his shooting, he noticed quickly his trigger control was a problem when he, got, when he was shooting a gun that wasn't a pound and a half trigger. And like today I was shooting, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not bragging or anything, but I shot this gun with a whatever it says, five and a half pound trigger and Glock sights, and the results were still okay. And anything that I saw that I didn't quite like, I would be having that same issue with my stock two or I'd have with an open gun. So anyway, um, I guess I don't have anywhere else to go with well, it. But Well, there's one way to think about it, and this will be the way most people experience it, is like if they start shooting with a Glock or whatever, some gun that's not maybe not perfect, they want to start modifying it right away. And I usually mm -hmm. tell people, 
you're not really losing a whole lot if you just wait to do that. You could just shoot the gun the way it is for a year, and when you know you really feel like it's in the way, then do something. Then start monkeying with the trigger or whatever you're going to do. Totally. Yeah. I think that's too many times, especially with Glock shooters, that they they look to that as like a way to. Like I would always equate it to like they're going to buy some points with if they buy a better trigger. They're somehow going to, and and it just really covers up like what you're doing. You know, I've seen it for me having duty triggers and then competition triggers. And I didn't see a real big difference between having a, a really smooth three pound trigger or a four and a half, five pound trigger. Obviously the three pound trigger is nicer and you mm-hmm. get away with more, but switching everything to just, OEM parts, you know, and that Glock three and a half connector, I don't see it as like a big disadvantage. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not ideal, I don't think, but it's not a disadvantage for me personally. Yeah. I think most guns coming out right now, uh, I don't see necess- it's not necessary to change out the trigger. I mean, I've been shooting factory Walther trigger since 2017. And since then, like some company comes out this like short reset trigger or what poundage trigger, other companies usually follow that st- new standard. So nowadays, new guns coming out to the market, like I don't see any point uh, really changing out the trigger unless you are open shooter and you try to make that as transferable. But yeah, duty tr- or factory triggers, I see, yeah, really nice nowadays. No need to change. Just learn how to shoot with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, we have a uh, question. I'll read it to you. On my last video review for PSTG, Professor Kibber recommended that I begin to explore shooting target-focused as a means to hone in on my accuracy issues. I know that many of you very accomplished shooters have had great success with target-focused shooting. Obviously, top-tier shooters like yourselves have developed a very good natural point of aim and can properly index the gun on a target with very little correction. My question for the group is this. As an intermediate level shooter, will I still be able to reap the full benefits of target focused shooting or will this technique really start to shine after I refine my target indexing? So everybody follow the question there. Yes. So should, should, should I start doing target focused shooting if I'm not really that good? Like by indexing, I assume he means Look to a spot, the gun comes to the spot, but the sights are kind of cocked up, so he doesn't have a really developed index. Yes. All right. Go, go ahead with your thoughts, Matt. I, I don't think that... I think they, they go hand in hand. I don't think if he's developing a really good index, then he has to do that being target focused. Yeah. Otherwise, because to confirm indexing on a on a really small target, right? Even if you can't just stare at the front sight post, you have to shift your gaze back out to the target to confirm where it is. So you start, you know, it's they kind of go hand in hand. You don't work hard on developing an index by not being target focused. You just have to visually, you know, mentally and visually train.
All right. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. I think we dropped Ben. I'll blame his Wisconsin internet. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, sorry, Matt. I'm not sure where we cut off while you were talking. Go ahead if you uh, want to repeat that. I apologize. I think yeah, it was so somewhere somewhere around when you were explaining, uh, you still have to look at target focus and then bringing the focal depth back to the site. I think that's when we cut off. Yeah. So even yeah. So I think even if you're working, if you're trying to train index, and you're you're doing it by being you know hard focused, hard on the front sight, like a hard front sight focus to confirm that in your dry fire training, you still have to shift your focal depth back out to the target to confirm where it is on the target. So yes. I think a better way to train that is you're training your indexing by by starting off on target focus and then you're visually training your eyes and mentally training that you have the level of confirmation that you need for that target distance or that target difficulty. Because for me, that was the hardest part is I had a very good, well-developed index, you know, out to probably nine, 10 yards. But then once I got to 12, 15 yards, I could shoot target focus fine from like a mechanical standpoint, just visually, it took me longer to get to confirmation or to be comfortable that the sites, that those blurry sites were lined up and, and I had the level of confirmation that I needed to make those shots. Mm -hmm. I like it. What do you say, Professor? Yes. Uh, so I, I wanted to point one out. Uh, one of the big misconceptions uh, in shooting community is that uh, usually on a difficult shot, yeah, you want like the alignment component, so front side in the middle of the rear notch. Just, uh, one big misconception is that people think when you should target focus, people think they're not caring about the alignment component. So a lot of time, say, you're so smart, Kim. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Thank you. So what? So uh, people who don't know about confirmation drill, just brief, for <clears throat> brief description of confirmation drill. Uh, there's multiple confirmations, but two and three. So confirmation two, meaning as soon as you see the color of the fiber, you just shoot right away without really trying to realign things or check the alignment kind of thing. So you see the color, immediately pull the trigger. Confirmation three is stable stopped gun with alignment checked. But now when we say alignment, uh, a lot of people think they cannot, uh, they, they need to focus on the front side to check the alignment. That's not true. You can simply still have the tar complete target focus and align the sights with completely blurry front sight and the rear sight. Of course, uh, me personally, if there's a fiber, it really helps to align it a little faster and have a better uh, information. So one good way to do, like this person has index issue, for example, uh, just keep doing and make sure when you have that crooked sight, maintain the front, uh, maintain the sight to the target and keep sights blurry and then try to align with the blurry sights. That's a really good way to train target focus and still be able to shoot with more or less aligned sights. Of course, if it's really blurry, the amount of lights in between the front and the rear notch and top notches are a little more blurry. So the, uh, the accuracy may be just a little bit different, but in our practical training shooting, uh, practical shooting, you, you'll be pretty surprised. You just set up a 25-yard target, which is most common far-distance target, and then simply just bring the gun up to your eye level and then just hard focus on the target and let your sight completely blur out 
and still have like a alignment effect. Like you can still align with the blurry sides and see how accurate you can shoot with that blurry alignment. So some people may say, hey, then what's the benefit? If, if it's a hard shot, you just look at the target first, bring, sides come up and you change the focal depth and you probably shoot the same time, right? So the real difference with target focused Align, blurry align shooting versus clear align shooting, which is front side focus. The time, usually the time difference is in the standard deviation, meaning when the sights are very clear, very sharp, there's a lot of information. A lot of times, oftentimes people try to pay more attention or take more time to align to a super fine alignment. Whereas the sights appear blurry, oftentimes because it's blurry, less information, you cannot really completely, really finely align with completely blurry sight. I mean, yes, you can, but visual feedback is different is what I'm saying. So when I experimented, I did it actually on 35 yard target. I would just uh, low ready, bring it up at the buzzer and then check the time target focus shooting versus front sight focus shooting. But both shots were al checked aligned. I would, if it's a not aligned sight, I would, do the best to align to a level I want to shoot. So in this kind of case, I was getting more consistent number like 80, 85, 83 on a target focus shooting, but in a front side focus, oh, for, for, yeah, front side focus shooting, I was getting like 90, 1.2, 1.1, like big deviation because of my, uh, a lot of times psychologically, you want to align really finely at that distance and front side being sharp gives me too much information um, I'm trying to align more than necessary, if that makes sense. So that's one downfall of it. And another thing is for the second shot too, if you are completely maintaining your vision onto the spot on the target, you have a better spot to uh, have your sights arrive to. Basically kind of like I gave an analogy to somebody. If you're driving a motorcycle, you want to look at the end of the corner, not the wheels. If you are shooting first shot, of course, a lot of the times they look at the target and when the sight comes up, they now shift focal sight, uh, focal depth to the front sight. And then they forget to look at the target again for the second shot. So they're not driving the gun or um, bringing the gun back down to a specific spot in that point because they maintain their focal depth to the front sight for the first and the second shot. They're not confirming <coughs> the, the spot they want to shoot for the second shot. If they if they don't yeah if they want to do they're gonna be like target front sight target front sight for the first shot and the second shot that's a lot of complication there so oftentimes I see a lot of people having the second shot somewhere else because they are not shifting focus back to the target site back to the target site that's really complicated uh, too much information and this is not really the optimal way to shoot in competition practical shooting at least bullseye different situation. Of course, right. Can yes. you always yep. drop, always dropping signs and saying smart <laughs> things? Uh, I was totally, totally going to go the same place you did about where people say target focus and they just automatically assume, okay, the targets and focus. I understand that the sights are blurry and they just think, okay, whatever. But yeah, they ignore the part that regardless if your sights are blurry, you still have to care about the alignment. And uh, I mean, like, I think Kim, you do target focus for everything. Is that correct? Now, right now with the yeah. iron sights, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. We were talking about that before. So yeah, in the same way. Iron sights, it's a, a head box at 15 yards. It's going to be 
target focus. If it's a three-yard burner target, it's going to be target focus. But like what you're saying, the level of attention to the sights and how aligned they have to be, regardless of being sharp, blurry, in focus, out of focus, the alignment still has to be there because that's the important part. Uh, me personally, I would say 99.9% .9 is target focus because, uh, of course, everybody has different vision. I was born with very bad eyesight. I have astigmatism and all that stuff too. So the degree of blurriness when I should target focus, I believe, is more blurry than most other people. Uh, so I am currently shooting with the regular <coughs> glasses. I cannot physically see sharp front sight with the regular glasses. So I I'm still shooting with it. I used to shoot with different prescriptions so I can see the front side sharp. But right now, uh, around 20 yards headshot uh, with a notion on the bottom. Uh, in that kind of case, uh, I had to shoot front side focus. But again, when I shoot front side focus, it's still not clear front side because of my vision uh, disability or, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I am focusing on the front side at 20 yards, no shoot underneath uh, head box because of the risk. Sure. But anything less risky or less difficult? I mean, how many times do we see twenty-yard headbox in a match? I don't think I've seen ever. Yeah. And I, th I think it's okay, you know, for a lot of people that that I'll teach like target focus shooting to, and they struggle with it. And it's it's okay if you have two different aiming schemes. If you can shoot target mm -hmm. focus out to ten, eleven yards, and then anything past that, you feel like you need to be hard front side focused. That's completely fine as long as you're in control of what your vision's doing. Yes. Not be on a 10-yard target and be target-focused and then come back to the front sight, back to the target, back to the front sight, pull the trigger. Because I see that a lot where you can watch, like, kind of someone's eyes change, their head position change as they're shifting their gaze from the target back to the front sight to get confirmation rather than not on the range, go back to dry fire, and then start training these, the visual part of maintaining that target focus and getting to, like, like um, objectively assessing, like, what level of confirmation and what the sights are doing and kind of letting that imprint on you in dry fire and then taking that back out to the range. Uh, and just one clarification, when I did the 35-yard target versus front side focus thing, uh, I had about the same accuracy, too. Yeah, and that's really worth trying also, just to see what you get for results. Because if you switch to target focus at whatever, a 20-yard, you know, a full target, and you're not getting good results, you're having problems seeing the alignment, or something falls apart, you don't like something, whatever, then, like, don't do it. It's worth just trying it and seeing, you know what you like. Uh, the only thing I think that's not really, shouldn't be open for negotiation is like what Matt's saying, the real close nasty shooting, like seven yards and in, that just has to be target focus. It's just too slow. Yeah. You can't you can't watch the front sight for five yards, seven yard, three yard shooting. That just has to be target focus. But I don't know what, I guess in medium and long range depends on your maybe your skill level, but medium out to long range shooting, whatever that means to you, then like, I think that's a trial and error of trying target focus trying front sight focus and just kind of seeing what results you get and, you know, you develop a preference for things. Yep. Well, I've seen too where when the, as the fundamentals increase, right? And if you think like with doubles, if you, there's no reason if you shoot, you know, you stack rounds on top of each other in the doubles drill at, at five yards and mm -hmm. you ingrain those fundamentals of returning the gun back to normal, all that, that, you know, 
shows itself back at 20, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the gun is still returning the same way. And that's where I think helps a lot of people, you know, if they focus on on fundamentals as well as the visual part, you're going to get much, much better results with target-focused shooting. You know, if you can't hold the gun steady and, you know, kind of put rounds right on top of each other at close distances with doubles or like a Bills drill, you know, um, or or shoot like a, you know, predictive style of shooting, then mm-hmm. you're not going to have good groups back at 25 regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I noticed when I compare target versus uh, front-side focus shooting is at extreme difficulty shots, like like the example of 20-yard headbox uh, with a notion <laughs> at the bottom. With the front-side focused, I was able to call my shot a little better. With the blurry sights, of course, uh, if we are talking about under 25 open target, I can still call very, very well because the A zone is a lot bigger. Uh, just extreme small shots at very far distance, uh, front-side focus, I'm... I'm calling the shot more accurately. I know, uh, have a better idea where the shot went. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Oh, one other thing to talk about with target focus shooting is sometimes people look at the target so hard they start looking for bullet holes. And I would definitely say, do not be looking for bullet holes. It's too <laughs> slow. Uh, pick a precise spot on the target. <clears throat> And not like, oh, just the perf, you know, like, oh, the perforated A box would be okay. It's like, no, no, no. Like the perforated letter A is where you want the bullets to go. Or if it's too far away and you can't see the scoring lines of the target, I'm looking with my eyes at a very precise spot where I want the gun to go. And that's the that's what I'm focusing on. I'm not just, I'm not going to play games with my vision where I'm looking at, you know, bullet holes or confirming or checking my work, so to speak. Because you see that sometimes where people shoot and they kind of pause and they admire their work about how well the target looks and how great they shot before they go on to the next thing. So that's one word of caution. One word of caution with target focus shooting. You can't stick around and admire your work. Yeah. I I describe it as zooming into a target as if a camera would zoom in. Sure. I I do. Actually, I do that exercise uh, pretty often. So I would just bring the gun up and then I would change my focal depth uh, to the target, to the front side and how how much zoom in I can do onto a specific spot on the target too, rather than just seeing a brown target. And then I would this I would examine how much blurry the site gets too. Uh, that's pretty important, especially people with asthmatism and also people with both side shootings, because the double vision uh, changes depends on the distance of your focal depth. Totally. So if you are aiming target focus at 25 yards target versus five yards target, the amount of double vision obscurity changes. Yeah. But one eye shooters don't yeah, don't have the double vision. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, it's not a one size fits all though. Uh, and that's with a lot of practical shooting. It's about experimenting and seeing what works best for you. And then yep. I like I would encourage trial and error because if you try something and it's a train wreck, it doesn't work out. You just know that's that maybe at this time at this point you're shooting, it's not a good idea. But it's not like you, you know, you did something bad. You're just learning from your mistakes. So experimenting is really important with shooting, I think. Yep, I agree. Well, guys, I was hoping our uh, our hippie host was going to return, but I don't know if he's having PC issues or what. So uh, I guess this was a bang up podcast. Three of us yes, survived. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listeners, if you have a question you want the answer to, go to my website. 
bensteger.com. Send me your question. I'd love to hear from you.